Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud, Thursday edition with Nurse Michelle. This weekend was a very special weekend for me because my baby girl graduated with her Bachelor of Science in Nursing this weekend at her private college. And I had been tuned in by Dr. Peter McCullough talking about his son's recent graduation from med school. Both his son and my daughter started their medical pursuit degrees at around the same time. They are pandemic college students and they graduated a week apart from each other. And he was saying that during that med school graduation, that the school did not mention a single thing about the pandemic while they were in the graduation. So here you have the first graduating class of that college and the same for my daughter's college that ever had to face mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and the word social distancing and, and stuff like that in their medical pursuit. And yet his son graduated without a word being said about it at the graduation ceremony. So I was tuned in. And when I came to the graduation, I was making sure to record everything that happened. And sure enough, the director of nursing, first thing she mentioned was that these students were definitely part of a very hard time in the season of education pursuit to pursue a degree because a lot of people didn't even want to put their students in colleges during a pandemic. But this group of nurses that graduated and doctors that graduated, they were the ones who weren't, let's say, afraid to go ahead and go to school. And some of them... um, complied with the vaccine mandate. I polled a lot of her uh, peers and was surprised how many nursing students says, oh yeah, 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 I got the vaccine as if, of course I got it. And yet they were in a private college that had provided a religious exemption for them that even though the college did not require a vaccine mandate, the clinical facility where they would fulfill their nursing time to get checked off on all their skills did require it. And we were quite offended when that medical facilities sent home a list of things that they wanted these nursing students to comply with if they would dare to not get the vaccine. And one of those was that if you claim that you actually have a religious exemption, then you better provide your religious authority's name and contact number so we can find out if you really are a religious person. And if you really are, your religion really does not want you to get that vaccine. So when we saw that line on her form, I said, let's just write a certain thing for them. And we wrote, your religious authority is J-E-S-U-S-C-H-R-I-S-T. And their phone number to contact them is G-O-D. They can reach out anytime they like because we weren't going to have anything to do with that. And also we made sure a particular statement was on that religious exemption that said, not am I'm making sure they understood. We're not asking your permission for a religious accommodation. We're invoking a right to it. And I learned this from Peggy Hall, the Healthy American. And the statement is, this letter serves to notify you that I am invoking my right 
to religious accommodation under Title VII of the U.S. Civil Rights Act. And then we also attach a particular lawsuit that is um, now precedent setting that we'll discuss during this show. But I want to make sure you all understand that around the country, the pandemic college graduates are actually graduating right now. You are going to be writing graduation cards to the pandemic graduates, the kids who graduated possibly high school in 2020, who may be graduating college right now. All of these students that have been graduating since 2020 are the ones who've seen mask mandates, vaccine mandates, um, social distancing mandates, and just mandating for testing and all kinds. And they have been presented with new challenges And in those populations, um, you will find that people are not as brave as you would like to think they are at that age, because these are the ages that typically get out on the streets and protest and make a whole bunch of trouble for things that they don't agree with. Like maybe you're seeing with the transgender ideology and maybe things like that right now. The college students are happy to fight for the pride movement and things like that. But for some reason, when they were forced to have something stuck up their noses or masks worn on them all the time, for some reason, it didn't stir them to get all stirred up. But today's guest on Nurses Out Loud is Sarah Grawlich. And Sarah Grawlich is an associate degree nurse. She's already a registered nurse who's been practicing medicine, uh, practicing as a nurse for a while. But she decided to pursue her Bachelor of Science in Nursing. And she had just graduated nursing school with an associate in 2020. So she's very familiar with what has gone down. She was also working as a nurse and was witnessing what was happening inside the hospital. And she's also married to a U.S. um, Air Force person who faced mandates as well. So she has quite a bit of stuff to tell us about firsthand accounts of what a nursing student experienced and what a U.S. Air Force student person experienced. So welcome to Nurses Out Loud today, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so in 2021, the mandates came to you. Tell us what happened for you as a student and as a nurse. Sure, 2021, um, I was mandated by, I guess, mandated by Chamberlain University, an online BSM program uh, to have a religious accommodation or some kind of excuse, you know, that would allow me to continue uh, my BSM program online. I reached out to my pastor at the time uh, who was my pastor since I was little growing up. And he uh, basically denied wanting to do that for me and wanted to give me something else instead, uh, which would say, you know, you don't have a right to like ask me these questions or something. It was like the run of the mill response that wasn't working. They had already turned down for me. So I'd ask them for a religious accommodation. He wouldn't provide one because they were too fearful of uh, legal, you know, I guess results from this or whatever. Um, which was a shame. So I eventually found a girl that I had been protesting with at that time. Uh, It was called Unmask Our Kids, and it started in Yelm, Washington, um, because I wasn't agreeing with what they were doing in the school system either. Her grandfather was a pastor and a believer in Christ, and he just knew that everything was not right from the beginning. And um, he didn't ask me to validate my belief because like the fruit I bear, he knew that I was a Christian from the get-go, and he agreed to write that not only for me, but for my husband that needed that to continue working. We both needed it for our work, our work spots, and then uh, for me to continue school. Okay, so in your workplace, let's go there. Here you are working, and what kind of facility and what kind of mandates started affecting your life? 
Sure. Uh, so the first place that I was working, my very first job as a nurse started in Washington State, and it was at a rehabilitation center, which was a long-term care on top, rehab on the bottom. Sometimes I would work both floors because we were extremely short-staffed. I mean, Washington State is just not looking good overall. We've got legislation involved and short-staffing uh, bills that we're trying to pass and everything right now. It's so bad. But at that time, I think the mandates, you know, really sped sped all of this crisis along. It didn't make anything better. Um, at that time, people would come, they would go get surgeries, just as, as an example, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry needed a um, surgery on their leg. They got a ORIF, you know, and they were three, four days post-op, and now they're coming to us for the rehabilitation. They were not allowed. Oh, go ahead. What was the thing? What is an ORIF for our non-medical listeners? Sure. That's an open reduction internal fixation of a femur. So if they break it and they open it up, they go in their screws, nails, whatever the surgeon chooses to use, fixes it. And then they spend about three or four days monitored at a medical surgical unit at, you know, the hospital here. And they come over to us at a rehabilitation center okay. for further physical therapy. Okay. So, um, I, I did it all. I, I was the, I ran the COVID unit there. Like when I say ran, I say I was essentially the only one to do it there, but to speak to the mandate thing, the patients weren't allowed out of their rooms. Um, they had to stay in there. It was like a ghost town, ghost village in here, where at one time they had a giant cafeteria for all the patients to come out and eat at and converse. And you know what I mean? At the night nighttime, which would promote ambulation and other things like that and encourage these people to get better quicker. It was shut down. So they were in their rooms. They couldn't leave their rooms. They were weekly COVID tested as well as before they even come into our facility, they were COVID tested. And if they were positive, they'd have to wait at the hospital until I guess a 10, 14 day period. And they're still doing this by the way. And then they would bring them uh, to physical therapy in this, which uh, I mean, with every with a short staffing, you'd be lucky to have a physical therapist in your room. You know, what I mean, sometimes. Right. And you're saying they were testing them how often these patients and how often are they testing them now? Sure. They would test them weekly when we were there. Um, I don't I no longer work there. I told you why, because everything just went crazy and they were bought out by another company because this whole facility was just going downhill. Um, but they were tested weekly. And then from what I understand after that, it was um Every so if they were to be there for 10 days, they test them once. So it went from like maybe weekly to biweekly almost, but it's still kind of weekly. It still hasn't really changed a whole lot. Not right. for not for the facilities that they they thought were most at risk for developing COVID, like the long-term care, they, you know, the elderly are the ones that we're seeing it in the most. And and they were having the worst impact from this, you know. So we were trying to keep it out of there, but it's like the flu. It just no matter what you do, it just, it's spread from one person to another. We don't have kids coming into the facility. So, you know, that premise that the kids are these super spreaders just didn't fit the, the narrative at that time. You know what I mean? So they're keeping people from them. They're being kept from their ability to progress as a patient with their physical therapy and ambulation. And, and we, then the mandate comes along for whether or not the patient's vaccinated and whether or not a nurse is vaccinated. So what happens to you as a person that the vaccine mandate starts showing up for you as a nurse working? In sure. That so then I had had a religious accommodation at that point, which I told you already, I ended up obtaining, but I had special um, things like if you were vaccinated, you could go back to wearing the regular PPE mask where I always had to wear an N95. And that was just in my first place of work. 
when I moved on to the second place, um, I know there was there was talks. It was going back and forth. It was so stressful. I felt so discriminated against. I can't even like describe it to you. They had even a conversation and had posted one time. We have these town halls where basically nursing administration is involving us in their talks. And they were talking about identifying unvaccinated nurses with a green dot on their badge at one point, which is unbelievable. You know, that I mean, if anybody knows their history, they know that during World War II, the Jews were marked with a, a yellow star and it wasn't a positive thing to have a yellow star. And it was intentionally discriminating against them so that people would not give them business. And so they'd be identifiable on the street. Here you've got a medical person being discriminated against with a green dot on their sticker so that the, pa the, the patients are aware, oh, I've got an unvaccinated nurse in my care. I may be able to refuse service, her, her care for me. I want a vaccinated nurse. But either way, she's being ostracized by having not been vaccinated. Now, I you probably, what was it that, get, there was something about Jody O'Malley, our Friday nurse, that did something that gave you some extra courage and bravery about this whole situation. But I think you had also said, you know, you never wanted it. So go ahead with telling us how you came to be this person who stood up against the vaccine. Absolutely. So I knew I didn't want it from the beginning when I heard Bill Gates was involved, when I heard pharmaceutical companies were, you know what I mean, like uh, coercing people into doing it. I automatically knew it was red flag number one. Um, Jody at that time, well, I was doing this long before Jody came around. I was doing the protesting for not only the healthcare workers protest, but an, a huge movement in Washington state that was called Unmask Our Kids. We started our own little sub version of that group in Yelm, Washington, and then it just exploded and others, you know, parts of the state. And we held meetings at the Capitol and my children were a part of that too. But um, ultimately, uh, Jody, I had seen her. And at that time I was almost ready to give up. I was like, nothing that I do is making a difference or maybe it is, but I just didn't feel like it was. I wanted to see results and I wasn't seeing them quick enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, especially after, you know, I had family members who died of uh, the, the, excuse me, MRNA vaccine themselves. My aunt died after after the second administration of Pfizer, um, everybody on my unit was getting sick, nearly half of them, more than half. I think it was like closer to 60% of them all had some type of reaction to this. And I knew that something wasn't right. So ultimately I didn't take it, but seeing Jody and what she stood for and what she was willing to do. And then her words at the end, when, um, uh, the Pfizer, I mean, the Pfizer, the, uh, Project Veritas representative James O'Keefe asked her, you know, you, you say that ultimately you don't have man to fear, only God, you know what I mean? And right. she said, amen. I knew that, that those were the magic words that it, it was in God's hands, not mine. And that I was standing for something bigger than just saving my job, saving my husband's jobs, keeping my kids in a better environment than what they're in now, what they were experiencing. So that's yeah. how I found Jody. Oh, I love it. And the the fact her book is called Rare Courage. And we know that courage is actually rare, but it is contagious. So her courage was contagious to you. But it sounds like you had enough on your own. You, you already felt that strength inside of yourself. It was just that extra reinforcement. You had mentioned that, you, you know, a lot of relatives were getting the vaccine. So were y'all experiencing a lot of pressure and coercion, both of you from work and private? Um, not a whole lot by our family, some by our family, not much by our family. It was mainly by work. He was getting it pretty badly at work. Um, cause he's 
uh, works. He's United States Air Force. He's aircraft mains, electronic warfare. He was getting it a lot from people in his shop and people around him. Even his own chaplain was uh, trying to push it on him. I was getting it from people that I work from. I don't know that they were really comfortable around me, but I do know that a lot of them, I was actually surprised that a lot of them were coming out of their shell at one point and they were saying, you know what, we know this is ridiculous. We've developed uh, they were starting to share their own vaccine experiences with me, which is kind of unheard of because they like to keep it quiet. They don't want to be wrong. Who wants to say I went and got something because I was coerced into doing it? You know what I mean? Right. Some of them were coerced. Some of them decided not to do it. Some of them thought it was a good thing to protect everybody else like Fauci and Biden. The Biden administration was telling everybody and even Trump, you know, at that time was, you know, really pushing the vaccine. And um, so it's just. I don't know. I mean, that's that's where I arrived. And I'm grateful that Jody showed up because she did get so that extra. Plan. You have children. So you probably went into the COVID pandemic without with not being an anti-vaxxer. Is that correct? But did you get labeled? Absolutely. Yes, I was. So I went into uh, I went into healthcare, got all my, you know, in ner- public nursing schools, you have to have like every vaccine. I wanted to say I got six in one day just to catch up, to get into the program at that time. And then because I wanted to refuse this one mRNA experimental vaccine, I was labeled an anti-vaxxer. So I started looking into that. What, I mean, why do we label anti people anti-vaxxers? I labeled my sister that I'm guilty of it. I was one of those people who were like, really, Christina, you're not going to vaccinate your kids. And I was so skeptical. And then I started doing my own research. I started reading VAERS reports, which I didn't know existed at the time. Many people don't know that the VAERS reports out there that we're supposed to be as healthcare professionals, um, you know, reporting to this. And I did, I did my research. I realized there is, it's a medical treatment with any medical treatment, you risk the chance of some type of injury, right? And we all respond to these differently, but because I'm a nurse and I'm not a physician and you have to, I guess, like I said, there's this there's this fancy thing where I don't really, you know, nurses don't feel comfortable reporting this because they don't know if legally we're allowed to, but any Tom, Dick and Harry in their house can report it. It's not just us. You can report right. it. That right. you have one, but, you for know. those that may be listening who are medical professionals who haven't heard it already on Nurses Out Loud, you are a mandatory reporter of a vaccine injury, but we know for a fact you were not trained in your nursing school or your med school to know how to do that, nor did your employer train you how to do that. And mm-hmm. that is why you and uh, the majority of the medical profession is ignorant. Now I have my first show on nurses out loud is 20 vaccine questions for medical professionals. And the next show is 20 vaccine answers for medical professionals. And what they will discover after doing that first test, they're not allowed to Google. They're not allowed to access the information because they're already arrogantly confident that they're experts on vaccines. And the, the, those who profess to be experts and say that everybody should go get one or call you an anti-vaxxer, you must take the test without any citation sources whatsoever, because after all, you do think you know it all. So that's something that's out there for people to do, because we know for a fact as nurses, we were not trained on this subject. So it's so sad that part of the coercion process was to make you feel guilty and put you in this category that was supposedly derogatory to be an anti-vaxxer. But once you actually become a very well-read person, like maybe your sister had already gotten ahead of you on that one, you're like, oh my goodness, now I was just COVID anti-vax. Now I'm actually anti-vax all the way. So that probably- Yeah, I am. Okay, so- I don't judge people for getting it if they do, but I try to provide them with the other side, the other information, our bodies- are they're amazing they are able to fight off viruses and 
infections and things of this nature. But for whatever reason, we feel like we need to always artificially get involved and mess around with, with these natural things that occur all the time that have occurred since the dawn of time. Yeah. You know I mean, as we're approaching the break. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your kids for just a moment? You have some kids that went through the pandemic as well and how that activated you to, toward actions. Sure. Um, so you're asking like what, what they, they about were my in children? school and they they were forced probably home and first they were doing school yes. probably on Skype and then how things change and they face mandates. Yeah. So the mandates came down pretty heavily. Jay Inslee just threw that hammer down as quick as he could. The kids were forced to stay at home at the beginning of it. Um, they would do Skype and I thought it was ridiculous. Like their education, the education that I expected them to get, they were not getting. It was so subpar that I was... I was flabbergasted. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Every time I come into the room to witness the teacher teaching, they would just be reading a book. I'm not even kidding. A book to my kid for language arts instead of teaching my kid how to read and write. I had a seven-year-old and I believe a 12-year-old at the time. I mean, their ages are all, you know, they're always growing. But anyways, and they needed that that good education to really, you know, these are the the primitive years, right? They're, it's important for them to learn this stuff. They weren't being taught it. When school finally opened back up, they were required to wear masks and indoors. I mean, if you even pull it down a little bit just to be able to breathe, and my son's an asthmatic, so he was having a terrible time trying to breathe through this mask, and it was sending him into these almost asthmatic fits, you know, coughing, and his he would come home red in the face, which I think was just too much you know, uh, reabsorbing his own carbon over and over and over again, you know, right? because he just wasn't able to breathe it out all the way. And then the teacher would scream at him if he pulled it down. I mean, it was torturous to these kids. And then when the vaccine mandates were finally approved for the kids, they, they, they took that and just pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. And there were two different protocols for if the kid got sick in school, uh, vaccinated versus, versus unvaccinated, because that's the way everything is right now, right? If you're sick and you're vaccinated, like if you come down with COVID and you've already got the shots as a child, then you only have to stay home for two days, as opposed to the second day where if you're unvaccinated and you get sick with COVID, you'd be out of school anywhere from two to four weeks, depending on your symptoms. And I said, wow, what what a loss of education at that point for the kid that's unvaccinated, despite the fact that he might even be asymptomatic. And as medical professionals listening and hear nurse to nurse, we know good and well there was no science to say that the vaccinated kid was only going to be sick with COVID for two days and contagious only for two days, and and that the kid that wasn't vaccinated was going to be sick for two weeks. So there's absurdity in that. We are, we're all having shoved down our throats all the time. Where's the supporting data for ivermectin? Where's the gold standard double-line study? Well, we, we say the same. Where's the gold standard double-line study to show that the child that is vaccinated is only contagious for two days versus two weeks? It's just absurd. Yeah, what's really absurd is that this comes down from, you know, it's a, like a government umbrella, right? You have the DOH telling the public schools what to do. Then we have Christian schools, which is where my kids were essentially put. I ripped them so close, so quick out of public school between the CRT and everything else going on that they're just pushing on our kids, this trans activist movement that we're seeing along with the vaccinations, along with the mask and the mandates. I just said enough is enough. I pulled them out, put them in a Christian school, but I couldn't even escape the government overlords there. They were still trying to tell the Christian school they have to wear the mask. If we catch them without it, we're shutting your school down. They have to. Oh, I'm, yeah, they directly went to that. They face fines. They face uh, legal legal fees, including like uh, ultimately a shutdown of the school for good. 
they'd so be shut down. Still had to be masked in Washington state in a private Christian school. Yes, they did. They still had to do that in a private private Christian school. For whatever reason, the government believes that it has outreach even in churches, which I thought there was supposed to be a division between church and state, but uh, that doesn't exist here, apparently. Yeah, that is um, shocking. So what did that motivate in you? You got pretty activated, didn't you? Absolutely. Um, we formed the Unmask Our Kids just in Yelm, Washington. Uh, can you hear me? We yeah. formed the Unmask Our Kids in Yelm, Washington movement, but it, it really exploded in like every every city within Washington state had some sort of like uh, anti-mandate school thing going on for the kids. And I would go to different school board meetings and I would speak as like, quote unquote, a uh, uh, expert witness, I guess, <laughs> because I'm a nurse and because I've seen it. And I know if the you know, they say they're super spreaders, but it simply isn't. There's no there's no um, uh, data to support that fact. You know what I mean? Right. Like I said, they get sick with the flu. They call them super spreaders. They get sick with the measles, mumps, and rubella. They call them super spreaders. They always go for the kids. And it's just a strange, strange thing. You know what I mean? Because anybody can get it, literally. Now, did you have an organization called Right to Refuse? Um, or just in general, you were saying, my kids have the right to refuse. I had the right to refuse. I'm yeah, well, I work with a constitutional law group. I think I knew where you were going with this. Uh, I started working with a constitutional law group um, with some local ladies, but they're all over the state, basically. And we were developing these um, uh, things that I guess you could bring to school with you. The parents could bring them and say, you know, stop telling my kid to wear masks. Stop telling my kid I have to vaccine. And then they would give them the information that they needed to um, be able to, you know, just educate themselves that you don't have to do this. Fight back. You know what I mean? um, It was actually parents out there helping other people be brave and better informed. Yes. And I actually came under fire for that, for speaking at the school meetings, for exposing that Kaiser Permanente doctor and her, um, the things that she had said about, you know, unvaccinated people, all this other stuff. Okay. So when we come back on the other side of the break, we are going to start right back there and let her tell that story. So I want everybody to listen before the break and, and realize that This story is a story that needs to be shared. It's anywhere that you listen to. Yes, you're hearing us for the first time on radio right now, but this goes to Nurses Out Loud podcast just within a couple of days. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether it be Stitcher, um, uh, Apple podcast or even Spotify, you can listen to us there. Get the link and share it because people do not know that things like this are still going on and parents are still out there having to fight for their kids' rights to breathe without masks and that nurses and medical professionals and nursing students are under duress and pressure. So we want to make sure that you do know that you can share this. And and when we come back on the other side, we will hear about the military impact that her husband faced. Because on this show, I've done two U.S. Coast Guard interviews, and they are among the most popular shows that have happened here because apparently our American people really do care about what happens to our military And here we've got a nurse and a U.S. Air Force as an American citizen fighting against this mandate and their lives and their livelihoods being threatened. And we'll tell you about that on the other side. It's time in this The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. 
Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at CofixRx.com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on the second half. I'm here with Nurse Sarah, and she was telling us just before the break about the Department of Health coming after her for some of the stances she was taking to defend her own personal rights and the rights of her husband and her children. So, Sarah, why don't you tell us what was going on that led to that? Sure. Um, so we were talking about the protesting. I was protesting different, different groups I was in. I was one for healthcare, one for the kids, one for the military, you know, and their required vaccines and stuff like that. Just trying to stop it all. Um, so what ended up happening was I triggered somebody and I know where I triggered it. It was whenever I tried to, um, I guess, ex or, uh, how do you say, I was trying to tell everybody about a doctor in particular. Uh, she worked for Kaiser at the time and she made statements about uh, unvaccinated people being treated out back in tents like dogs while vaccinated people should you know, be able to come into the hospital. But because we chose not to vaccinate, that's our fault if we get sick. Was she doing this with uh, out loud in a public forum or was she on a was this in writing? This was on a public forum. As a matter of fact, the group is called Vaccinate Washington. They pay their they have collaborations with several health healthcare providers and other things like that. They kind of rally together. They they get funding and everything else. They make commercials. You'll see them if you're here in Washington State commercials where they're saying, "Go vaccinate, save your neighbors." So, you know what I mean? And then it would be uh, broad or you know the broadcaster advertisement pays paid for by the uh, vaccinate Washington group. And she was a part of that group. Made that statement on her page. I infiltrated their page to get some information. And then found that statement and made that, I guess, relevant or relevant to the public, you know, to say, hey, this is what they're doing and what they're saying about you. You know, what I mean, so when you think oh. that they're for you, 
encouraging discrimination of unvaccinated patients. Like you're not even worthy to come inside of our building. We're going to put a tent out back and give you a different quality of care. Exactly. So that's what she was doing. So the DOH got involved, not only because of my work in the school board uh, meetings and talking as quote unquote expert witness, you know, as a nurse, I went to several different school board meetings, people were always contacting me to get me to go to their town to do it. I mean, I would drive and, and travel and do these things and work with the um, constitutional law group as we would go to provide parents more information, as well as the school school board members, because even the school board members weren't aware that they had rights as school board members to put a stop to these mandates themselves. Okay. So, so the DOH. Uh-huh. Uh, so whereas a lot of the communication about this kind of stuff going on through Facebook groups. Uh, yeah, a lot of it was through Facebook. And then, like I said, during the rallies and the school board meetings, uh, yeah. Facebook can be a wonderful tool when used appropriately. <laughs> but yeah. um, essentially the NCQAC, which is an umbrella, uh, I guess, institution from the DOH, Nursing Care Quality Assurance Committee by the Department of Health. Okay. Um, so they issued, they sent me a letter, a statement in the mail, which I'll give to you and you can you're more than welcome to let your viewers see it for themselves. I had several complaints uh, that I attempted to obtain COVID-19 vaccine religious exemptions under false pretenses. Um, I identified as an RN in public venues while going against federal and state public COVID-19 guidance on Facebook and at school board meetings. They even said they even went as far as one charge was you are harassing and inciting harassment against other healthcare providers and members of the public who disagree with your beliefs. But I was doing the exact opposite. I was saying, I understand where you're coming from, but we also deserve to have a voice to stand, to speak up. You know what I mean? And I, and I, as a nurse, it's my duty to advocate for the patients. You're saying to me, you're being accused of inciting violence. Yeah, that's what they said, which I thought was really funny because at one of our um, big protests, which was, I don't know, it drew anywhere from, most of them drew anywhere from like 500 to almost 11,000 to 15,000 people at the Capitol here in Olympia, Washington. And one of our um, gatherings or protests, uh, we had several legislators at and Antifa showed up and the Proud Boys did too, because they heard Antifa was showing up to us. The Proud Boys, from my experience, personal experience with them, they were there to protect us. They heard about what we were doing. They supported it. And Antifa showed up and one of the proud boys ended up getting shot in an altercation. We could hear the gunshots. Everybody was, you know, like kind of losing their mind. They were running away, escaping, didn't know if they wanted their children there. My children have personally been treated like crap by Antifa. And a lot of people, you know, they're more left-leaning or just disagree with me in general, calling my kids inbreds in the streets and all, everything else. So it's been, you know, horrific. But what I was saying was, go ahead. How did, they, how did that affect them? Oh, uh, my kids would go home crying. Yes. Yeah, so here, here we, when you think about what the name Antifa supposedly stands for, it's anti-fascist. And here we have <laughs> the anti-fascists that are supposed to be kind of against governmental ruling over them inappropriately. They identify themselves as anarchists. Yeah. Yeah. Here they are actually making you feel guilty and making you feel like the idiot because you won't comply with government. Yeah, they're supposed to be against the government. That's what uh, anarchists stood for back in the day. They didn't like big corporations. They don't like money-making corporations. They they don't like government guidance. They think we should all be free or at least at one point decided, you know, that we should be. But we're labeled the fascists, right? Well, they should technically be on the same side as those saying, we don't want you to shove down our throats a vaccine. We don't want you to shove down our throats the fact that we have to wear masks. 
we want you to give us freedom. That would be the side they would, they should be on with you, but they're actually the opposing side. Exactly. So, and then uh, on top of that, so I had all these uh, charges against me. I waited over a year and a half for them to rule that I was uh, essentially cleared of all these accusations and charges. So my license was no longer in jeopardy at that time, but I waited a total of, I want to say like two years when the accusations first started to when I first received the formal document from DOH and then cleared almost two and a half years later. So I mean, if we go back to the timeline that first started, it was two years. I didn't know if I had a job, if my husband had a job. I knew that we could lose it all. I knew that I could potentially even be an arrest, arrested for protesting on the Capitol. And I just continued because I said it's in the Lord's hands. You know what I mean? If Lord, if you want to take everything, just take it. I don't care. And you're talking about the U.S. Capitol or are you talking about the Washington State Capitol? Washington State Capitol and Olympia, Washington. They can you can Google me, my name, Sarah Grolick. You can type in unmask our kids. You can type in nurse at Olympia um, protest. I mean, you'll find me all over it and uh, see my statements that I've made. And they're not I don't think that they've been derogatory in any way or incite inciting violence in any way. Right, you're doing exactly what you thought as an American citizen you had a right to do, which was to stand up for what you believed was an unconstitutional act being done to you, your husband, and your your children. And, yeah, your, and it, your community. Yeah. And to quickly just summarize everything that we've talked about just for me, because I know we're going to move on to my husband here in a minute, which his is super important to me. Yeah. But um I want to say I this- wanted to yeah, go ahead. Here we're talking about a, a family that had, during duress of threat of their careers loss had to pull their children out of free education to put them into expensive education just to protect them from the unconstitutional mandates happening and the lack of education they were getting in the public school sector. So that's that's a, something to, that we don't want to negate to fail to speak about. But here, as we're talking about what's impacted both of you, your husband's in the U.S. Air Force. So what was happening to him? Sure. Um, um, real quick, though, I wanted to, to I don't want this to be lost. When you guys speak about all the treatments and everything that they're saying you can't give, it is absolutely true. They told us this. We know this. One of the doctors wanted me to administer remdesivir to a patient who made it evidently clear he did not want it. He was not there for COVID. He popped positive just on a routine scan. He said, well, I had COVID like four days or seven days ago. I don't want to be treated for it. There's nothing wrong. I mean, no loss of taste, no smell, nothing. So he was doing good. She wanted me to continue doing that. I fought with the doctor. I said, I'd advocate for my patient. I don't work for you. I work for my patient at this point. And obviously she threatened me and, and a bunch of other stuff like that. But then at my last facility, the very first one, the rehabilitation, the nurse, uh, um, the nurses there, they were unvaccinated. They were refusing to work with vaccinated patients. So where I was hired for a eight hour job Monday through, you know, anywhere from Monday through Saturday, eight hours a day, they, uh, I ended up having to stay. I remember one time in general, just as an example, I stayed almost 24 hours because nobody would relieve me to care for this COVID patient that was asymptomatic, by the way, but because all these vaccinated were, uh, nurses had an excuse for not working with them, either themselves has some kind of comorbidity or their parent de- or you know, whoever it is, their parent, their child, their significant other, they refuse. So that's important for people to know that there were vaccinated nurses refusing to take care of COVID patients. Yeah. And supposedly they got their vaccine because they didn't want to share it with their family, loved ones or patients if they got exposed. So here's so why are you so scared. Yeah, right. You're the ones that supposedly protected. So you should be going running in there to be so confident that your vaccine works so good for you. But instead, you're sending in the person that, you know, 
did not get a vaccine and you believe she's somehow in danger and you force her in there and don't even give her a break. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This last 20 through 2023 has completely revealed that the medical community lost their thinking caps during this, uh, during this event. This is absurd. Yeah. What happened. I, it's hard to even fathom what you just said. And this is her true testimony. Oh yeah. And and if we wanted to dive more into it, I get into the whole, I drew vaccinated blood. It came out completely solidified. I mean, there's tons of things that I could talk about. I could give you examples about the remdesivir, the AKIs, acute kidney injuries I'm seeing with the administration of remdesivir, but the doctors are wanting to push it under the rug. They yeah. don't want to say that these people came in with a DVT and they're in their twenties and they've never had a significant cardiac or any kind of history that would indicate they have blood clotting disorders of any kind nothing, no history whatsoever. When she says DVT, she means a deep vein thrombosis, which is a, 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 a clot, a blood clot inside of a deep vein inside the body, which we should not be seeing inside of young in, individuals. But these nurses are witnessing these things and only a few are telling the truth about what they're hearing. So if you're out there and you're listening to this nurse speak bravely about what she witnessed and you've been afraid to speak truthfully about what you've witnessed, it is time to speak. You can speak. Come forward. Yes. Yeah. Come to either Nurses Out Loud or come to uh, Jody O'Malley is our Friday nurse. She's a whistleblower. She will tell you the steps you need to do to do that and how to be protected in doing that. It doesn't matter if they're coming after your license. Everyone whose licenses have been come after have lost and all their licenses are secured. And now we're dealing with um, governor, like a governor, gubernatorial candidate that is in Minnesota who is going to be suing the medical board who basically tried to come after him. And 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 tr- and definitely thwarted his attempt to, in a political race. So there are lawsuits being brought against these medical institutions, these bureaucratic institutions that did behave illegally. So in your case, your license—they were coming after your license—but your license is secure. Is that not correct? It is. Yeah, it is secure now. And it, and even doing this radio show, somebody here could listen in, to this and then again try to accuse me. You can accuse anybody of anything. Now, if they have a medical license, you don't really necessarily need proof. And you're not allowed to, I guess, as a nurse, have your own opinion. Yeah, right. And you, um, it, it could be a false claim. It forces an investigation of a nurse and she has to get a lawyer or somebody to support her. And that is the injustice of this kind of situation. Now you were also on some Facebook pages where some nefarious behavior happened. Oh yeah. The union, uh, union Facebook page, uh, for the hospital that I work at now, uh, one of the leaders of the union page deleted me off of it, uh, got rid of me because I was speaking up against, you know, like the green dots being placed on the badges and things like that. He just completely got rid of me off that page because he said I I had, I should deserve no voice since I won't do anything to help my family or anybody else out there. I obviously show no caring of any patient when you should see how many Daisy awards I've been nominated for. He has no clue what he's talking about, but I, you know, did you understand you correctly? You, did you have some legal help? getting any kind of letters that had to be written for you? Did you have some? Yeah. So when I responded to the department of health, uh, I had to do so pretty quickly. So I contacted uh, the constitutional law group that was helping us throughout all these protests. And I said, would you be willing to help me with this too? And the attorney said, yeah. And he said, if it goes to court, I'll, I'll back you. But he ultimately helped me draft the letter against all these accusations. And I was just so beautifully drafted that I think it just convinced the Department of Health. There were not, there wasn't, I wasn't doing anything nefarious. You know what I mean? I was trying to help what I did, what I did, I thought was ethical. And that's the first thing we should be asking ourselves as nurses, is this ethical? 
we've lost we've lost the definition of that. Absolutely. At my daughter's graduation this last weekend, they had to read the nurse uh, Nightingale Pledge. And it specifically says in the Nightingale Pledge that you will no not administer a, a medication that has known uh, adverse harm to the potential yeah. patient. So the majority of people who were shoving these vaccines down people's throats or were administering them, you know, you have to ask yourself as a listener, how well did you educate them on what you read about the Pfizer documents, about what Pfizer actually said was potentially harmful for those patients? Because if you actually read those documents, you would have about 900 things you would have to say to the patient is potentially going to happen to them after getting that vaccine. But let's not forget, Pfizer did want to keep that from you as a medical professional for the next 75 years. They didn't want you to have access to that knowledge. And thanks to organizations that are associated to the anti-vax community known as the uh, Informed Consent Action Network that anyone can go to at icandecide.org, you will know that they brought a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request to the Pfizer people, and they had to release, they fought to make sure those documents were released to the American public now. So those documents are available for any medical professional who wants to do that, and they can reach out to me and get that link if they want it to start becoming actually informed about the truth about this va- the vaccine. So let's go ahead and if there's, is there anything else about the workplace environment that you want to share with that before we move on to your husband? No, I think I exposed the coercion and <laughs> discrimination pretty well. <laughs> made a comment at one point to me that if, if you're making a decision because you're really afraid of losing your job, then it really, that really is coercion. It, it is. Anytime that you're threatened with anything or you feel threatened, that should be a red flag to you. Exactly. Okay. So here's your husband, U.S. Air Force. What's happening to him? Sure. Um, so he's been in the Air Force about 16, 16 and a half years. He retires in two and a half years in an early bridge program. Um, he was told that he would be let go from the Air Force because they weren't accepting his religious exemption that I told you my friend's grandfather had written for him. Um, they had to bring him in a room with his chaplain, his commander. There had to be several people there. And they basically um, just drilled him. And they were like, uh, you know, I want you to prove that you're a believer in Christ. So he had to sit there and prove his religious beliefs. He had to prove that he was actual God fearing Christian to these people. When we allow Muslims or anybody of like an Islamic faith or even a Viking, you could have, you could uh, identify as a Viking in the United States military, kid you not. And you could grow a beard. Whereas, you know, everybody else, you're supposed to be clean cut, shaven. We have you know, specific guidelines in the military, but you are allowed to ignore all these if you, you know, have a religion that goes against it. And so do they have why to prove, are, do they have to prove they're a Viking by biological nope. descent? Absolutely not. Nope, Michelle, they don't have to prove any of that. But my husband had to prove, I mean, he was grilled from here to Montreal. He was just, I mean, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And uh, so he eventually, you know, we had, we had talked about it and um, we decided to go ahead. I told him about this law, this, uh, well, it was kind of like a class action, but it didn't have very many people at the time lawsuit uh, with military members being discriminated against for religious beliefs. And I said, maybe you, you should, you know, look into that and join it. And he did, he went full force into it. Um, when we saw like half of his um, his own unit or whatever you want to call it, just kind of either quit or uh, they retired early or something because they were being forced to do this. Other people, I mean, nearly 80 percent of all military members even staying. 
I would really look at and say, are they, are they people that we would want in a military stance, people that are supposed to be, you know I mean? Over us because they all kind of just, they took the vaccine just to keep a job. And many of them didn't even want to fight it. They just got out for whatever reason, but he did. And so what the name of that was, it's a case It's called Doster versus Kindle. And it was Chris Weist, attorney at law. And they had several meetings. I know the latest one was like in Ohio when we um, finally won the lawsuit. My husband was protected. But what you need to understand is every day the military keeps trying to bring up another lawsuit against these same military members. So even though he's cleared right now and can stay where he is and he had, he tried to transfer shops anyway, because they, they said he was no longer deployable um, because he wouldn't vaccinate in a lot of these countries, I guess, want you to have the vaccine so they couldn't deploy him. But what's really funny is before all the mandates for the military started in August of 2021, my husband was one of the ones that was a part of that, um, Afghanistan's tour. He did not wait for them to ask him. He volunteered to go to Afghanistan to rescue all these Afghanis that were working, you know, as either civilians on the base or just families that wanted to get out because it was such a botched job by Biden to pull our troops out, Al Qaeda and everybody else and all these you know, bad Muslim entities at that time were taking over and everybody was just wanting to flee the country. So we got out as many as he could. I can't speak to the exact things that he witnessed there because that would be, uh, he would get in a lot of trouble and I'm not trying to get him in trouble, but I will say that he, he cried. He was devastated. What he experienced. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I, I'll just, I'll say that I'm not going to cry, but I will say that I feel for him because he suffered tremendously and they, this is how they repay him after 16 and a half years of going to Africa during the Ebola crisis, rescuing Afghanistan's during the latest, you know, deployment. Um, he went to Iraq several times. He's been in several war zones, you know, for the last 16 years. And this is how they treat the men and the women who have protected us. It's disgusting. Yeah, I, I when I was interviewing her in advance, I mean, she just did literally break down talking about her husband. She didn't break down talking about her own persecution, but she broke down talking about her husband's persecution. And, and you know, it's something to be very respected. We all need to be inspired by people who love well, that you want to be someone who loves your people well. Hopefully you're married to people you love well and somebody who's married to you loves you well and would fight for you like this. I mean, we're talking about people that she's had her ch- husband, she's had her child children with, and she knows the, the the heart of this man that he was willing to volunteer to go into that awful Afghan, Afghanistan quick rollout. And all these people were left behind that had worked in the military installations on behalf of the U.S. government. They were allies to the U.S. government and they were left alone with the enemy taking over, torturing them and harming them. And a lot, we remember horror, horror scenes of people falling out of airplanes. We saw the, how horrible these people um, looked when they got, when they got care because they had been neglected, they had been beaten, they had been harmed. And this is the kind of U.S. military person that went in voluntarily to go into that terrible situation so that they could be a help in that situation. And like she said, did all these other forms of service on behalf of the American people. And this is what the federal government did to them. So we are so thankful that there are lawsuits that are going on out there. And we'll make sure to put in this show notes the citations to these lawsuits. 
But I have another lawsuit to bring up for anybody that's out there medical. In case you do not know it, we had there is a lawsuit on the books called Thomas versus Maricopa County Community College. And that was brought on by two nursing students in Maricopa County, Arizona. So there were a couple of thousand nursing students at the time the mandate came down in Maricopa County, Arizona. But only two nurses secured a lawyer that, by the way, didn't charge them anything. And took that case to the Supreme Court and won a federal precedent setting case. That means that anybody out there that says, I don't want to have this COVID vaccine mandated upon me for nursing school, for clinical experience, for med school, for anything, you can use this citation and very likely the other citations she's referencing as well that have successfully won in court. There are cases being won all over the place. If you do need a list of lawyers ready to fight for you, I have a list of about 15 who are bulldogs ready to fight you, fight for you. And there's a Tom Renz show that is a lawyer who who speaks every week on America Out Loud Talk Radio 2. He's also there to fight for the American people and to expose the injustice that has happened. We want to pursue litigation because the, it is money that propelled a lot of these mandates. Like she mentioned, these hospitals got extra money when they tested positive, even though they were asymptomatic and not even showing signs of illness. They benefited from money. So it will be the loss of money for some of these institutions that will hopefully promote change for them. And the justice will be won by the people who have been harmed, who are dead, who have lost their wages, who went through duress just to get, think of all that you went through. So you can tell us if you haven't already said enough, Your family was literally jeopardized for both people's ability to provide for the family, correct? Oh, yeah. We we didn't know for a short time period there. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't, you know, cry, cry out to God several times. Of course. For health. But, yeah, I didn't know what our future held in it. But I did know that I do have a loving family. He has a loving family. We're very supportive. And I hope what everybody takes from this podcast alone is to don't stop talking about what happened. Because if it happened now, it can happen again. It can happen in three months from now. It can happen tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's And, and don't allow these people like Fauci to double back and say, well, I never made, I never said that they had to do it. It was just a recommendation. Hearing him say that was like another jab in the stomach, you know, for anybody out there, including exactly. my Exactly. And just like Dr. McCullough had mentioned about the graduating class that his son came through, that was the next generation of doctors, there should have been words spoken about what the medical community did, what they were pressured to do, what happened, the mass exodus of nurses, doctors, nurse practitioners, and all forms of medical professionals that exodus the medical profession during this mandate, because of this mandate, people who lost their um, pensions, their retirement pensions in the military, because of these mandates, they wanted to walk away. They believed in their conscience enough that they knew it was bad for them. I'm sure if someone like myself had been coerced because I had this long list of medical conditions, if I had gotten that vaccine myself, there's no telling what my outcome would have been. So the many people you may be listening gave into it because you felt the incredible pressure. Like I have to do this. I have to provide for my family. That is a true thing. There should be no amnesty for those that contributed to the propaganda 
the coercion, the pressure, every single person that actually tried to ostracize, even this person she mentioned that said that you should be treated outside in a tent if you had COVID, if you were not vaccinated. We know of many cases like this all around the country. We need it exposed. We need these stories coming forward. And if you're a medical professional out there who knows more than um, even Sarah is sharing with us today, we want you to come forward and tell. So uh, just a moment, you can give us a last words and then we will part for today. I'm sure. So I guess my only last words would be to educate yourself because it's super important. I walk through life not knowing anything about my civil rights or liberties that are due to me, that are due to my husband, my family. Just because you joined the military, it doesn't mean you signed your life away. Just because you joined nursing doesn't mean you signed your your life away. Just because you go to school as a child, that doesn't mean that you've signed your life away, even to your parents who want to try to change your gender for social norms and popularity. And for whatever reason that they may have realized that you're smart, you know, and it kind of reminds me of that movie, The Help. You, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And it really is true. That's very true. Your life matters. Like I tell people, I want you to all to hear it is that that fingerprint of yours has never been here before. It will never be here again. It is here for such a time as this. So we want to make sure that you make the impact you're meant to do. Share this kind of content with as many people as you possibly can. And let's get the word out there and make courage common, not rare. Yeah. Make courage great again. (laughs) Thank you for coming. Thank you. Remember, all our shows go to podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please share these stories with the people in your scope of influence. It is up to each of us to make the truth known. We are in a war for truth. Nurse Sarah fought for herself, for her children, for her community, and for her state. But her love for her husband motivated her to fight even the U.S. military on behalf of her beloved. And she is still fighting in this war for truth. She is the real deal, a true patient advocate, the kind of nurse every patient hopes will be there for them in their time of need. Stand up for this kind of nurse. Make sure your state nursing boards hear from their citizens that you expect them to reward and honor, not persecute and investigate the nurses who fought for their own right to bodily autonomy and for the rights of others to have a choice when it comes to medical freedom. We all must fight in this battle. We must make sure this never happens again. Until next week, same time, same place, Nurses Out Loud, Uncensored Truth. It's time